and welcome to the Church Society podcast. I'm Ros Clark, I'm the Associate Director of Church Society and I'm your host here on these podcasts. This week I am joined by George Crowder, uh, one of our regional directors, and by Phil Hobbs. Phil, just tell us who you are and what you do in life. Thanks Ros, I'm, I'm Phil and I'm a final year law student um, who's finishing in theory this week at Sheffield University um, and I'm engaged to Beth due to be married this Saturday. She's to be married this Saturday. I mean, that that is quite exciting. Uh, we're going to come on to that in just a moment, just to let you know this episode. We're going to be talking about a number of different things uh, to consider as we are moving slowly out of the period of lockdown. So we're going to be talking uh, about marriage and the impact uh, that lockdown has had on that. We're going to be thinking about... Um, uh, the government and its priorities as it is easing lockdown, uh, people and profits, uh, business or uh, household. And we're also going to just be thinking a bit about where churches are at, how things have changed given the guidance in the last few weeks, what we hope might be coming next and what kind of questions we need to be thinking about. And as always, uh, I'll be asking everyone to share some recommendations with us. So, uh, Phil, you were due to be getting married uh, this Saturday. Presumably you are now not getting married this Saturday. Yeah, that's right. We've um, we planned to have a barbecue with Beth's family outside in a gazebo instead. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that, sure that will, you know, more or less make up for everything. Um, at, at what point, given everything that's been happening, at what point did you realise uh, that wasn't going to go ahead as you'd originally planned? I think probably... A week ago was the day we, we realised when the government had said by the 1st of June they'd update people on, on small weddings. So I guess last week when when that didn't happen on, on the 1st of June, I think we both just felt really disappointed, um, sort of had worked up imagining that the government had said the 1st of June will let you know, probably they're going to say yes. Um, so I think it was it was really disappointing about this time last week when we realised that um, it probably wasn't going to go ahead. And presumably before that, you'd had to cancel plans for, I don't know, presumably you'd, you'd initially invited more than two people or whatever. You'd had to cancel sort of reception and, and all of those kind of things, but you'd still thought there might be a chance that you could actually get married. Yeah, my parents had really kindly said um, Beth's parents could be the two witnesses. So we'd, we'd yeah, we'd rearranged um, a reception sort of as a one-year anniversary party next sum- summer hoping that maybe grandparents and, and vulnerable friends could could be allowed to come as well by then so that that's what we, we planned um, for for next year instead I guess for a reception. So um, it's been a difficult thing hasn't it obviously most church services have not been permitted uh, there has been an exception for funerals all the way through um, although with quite strict guidelines on who's allowed to attend. and It's not been possible to have funerals in a church building. It's only around the graveside or in a crematorium. Yes, and I've heard different stories about rules about whether you can sing at those or not, and some are permitting it or not, and, and quite limited numbers of guests as well. So it, it has been very restricted, and obviously there's a, an urgency about a funeral that you can see why they, they felt they needed to make that exception. Um why were you hoping, I mean, I know they sort of mentioned that they might do it. Why do we think it might have been a good thing for them to have extended that exception? Because that's really all we were hoping for, I guess, was a similar sort of situation where you'd have the, the minister and the couple and maybe two or three guests, still restricted numbers, limited kind of service. What, what sort of uh, 
priority would that have communicated if the government had said, yeah, actually, that can start going ahead at this point? I guess I think it's something that particularly matters to Christians because it's something that particularly affects us with them. Cohabiting before marriage is, is obviously really common in society. And so probably from a government's point of view, it's really low on the agenda thinking um, we need to get people who maybe are really used to seeing each other and preparing to live together um, back together. Um, but for Christians, um, I guess there's that element of wanting to be uh, pure sexually and, and so not cohabiting and not um, together already. And I think that's where uh, it's not just um, something that people like me want um, so that we can live together and maybe have sex or whatever, but it's sort of an ontological change we want as well. So we can be married and have that sort of um, mutual comfort and uh, support that uh, the Book of Common Prayer talks about marriage being for one another, um, both in hard times, obviously right now, really difficult times with doubt and uncertainty and in good times. And that's what we want and what others like us want is, is in a sense, we want our best friend back. Um, and I think that's what's really important. It's the marriage as a, a building block for life and as a, an actual change in, in situation for people that, that at the moment is, is torn away and, and is really hard. Yeah, I think that's right, isn't it? It's so different from the situation of the couple who are already living together. Maybe they already have children together. And effectively what their marriage is doing, it's not that it's not important to them, but but it is basically just a big celebration and a party. And in other ways, their life doesn't change massively as a result of it. I mean, you know, there are legal changes and stuff that, that matter, but deferring that for a while is not such a big thing. Can you just tell us a bit, Phil, about sort of practically the fact that you're not going to be able to get married when you'd originally planned? What, Im what impact is that going to have? Um, presumably you'd been planning to move in together after this and now you're not. How is yeah, that going to work? That's one, of, one complication. You're right. Um, Beth at the moment has been living in a rented house that's her contract expiring at the end of June and new tenants are going to be moving in. Uh, her parents live in Leeds and we're in Sheffield, so uh, she won't move to her parents. She's going to move in with some some friends of hers in Sheffield because we won't move into this house where I am now um, together. It's in a village a bit outside Sheffield where we're actually going on a church graft due to start this month, um, a place called Uterbridge. So it's a bit isolated maybe from our current support networks and friends. And that's why she doesn't really want to move here and live here alone. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? I'm, I'm going to hope that when she moves in, she'll she'll bring some nice artwork and curtains. Uh, for those who are listening on audio, Phil's in a very stark white uh, room that he's sitting in at the moment. It is really difficult. I think one of the things I wonder that just has maybe made that feel a little bit more painful even is that we have seen some quite high profile stories of couples that have been permitted to get married um, in exceptional circumstances. And obviously we don't always know what has made those circumstances exceptional, but you know, there was all over the papers, a couple who'd been able to get married in a hospital chapel. They both worked, I think at the hospital or certainly for the NHS uh, and the archbishop uh, had given permission for that. And that's, that is, I think, how people have been able to get married. Uh, if there's exceptional circumstances, you can apply uh, for an archbishop's license, a special license, uh, if he thinks that's appropriate. So, you know, there was somebody on the Jake uh, Facebook group last week who was taking a wedding 
uh, where the I think it was the bridegroom has a terminal illness and obviously there was a, a real sense of urgency and they'd been granted special permission for that, which, you know, I, I don't think anyone um, can argue with that, but it does make it particularly hard uh, if you're seeing that you're not being granted that. George, the Church of England have come out, I think, with some guidelines, um, not permitting weddings to go forward now, but giving us an idea of what they might look like when they are allowed. Just what what is the what are we expecting to happen? Um, yeah, there's uh, I we get a Darsden briefing every every week, and in this week's briefing, which just arrived this morning, uh, was. Uh, was some of the guidelines they are saying they are planning, although the government hasn't given permission to do that yet. Uh, I think it's the Church of England trying to be on the front foot um, and they are uh, actively campaigning to, to move this forward. And that is encouraging. Um, so there are, there are guidelines for um, opening up churches for individuals to come and pray on their own. Uh, there are guidelines for funerals and for small weddings and for baptisms. Um, and and they're all along the similar sort of line. A, a lot of emphasis on um, on giving good visual cues of marshalling people uh, and having a very small number there. Uh, very specific guidelines. And, you know, there's no need to touch the ring. Um, uh, and there's uh, the, the, everyone except the couple are to be um, kind of socially distanced. Uh, and there's no need to touch their hands. I mean, you know, in a mar- marriage, I would often hold the hands of both the uh, the, the bride and the groom. Uh, and in baptism, you are to use, a, you know, to, at a distance, a receptacle to, to pull in. So the, the thought about it. No, and you're not allowed to hold the child either. The, 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 the parents have to offer the child and then you pour the water. Um, so so they've, got, they've really tried to think through. They haven't given specific numbers because there's no numbers being given by the government. They've just said, you know, a small number. And, and there's very much emphasis on this will be a local decision. Um, and I think that PCCs, and I've written about this on the blog, need to be kind of thinking this way as well, getting on the front foot and thinking through uh, the sort of things that they might not have to have to put in place, uh, getting their heads around it for the church buildings they have. Yeah, and what normal practices are. So, you know, some uh, churches and some vicars will have uh, different sort of normal traditions about how they do a baptism or how they perform a, a marriage and, and we'll need to think about those uh, individually. Well, let's hope it moves forward. Um, Phil, just tell us, you, you've been uh, actively also trying to encourage things to move forward. There's a petition, I believe, isn't there? Can can people still sign that? Yeah, I think so. It's, it's over 10,000 uh, signatures now, so it will be um, given to government, uh, but still going. It's only about five days now, I think, and it's about on at least 13,000 anyway, uh, but that's that's still available to, available to be signed. Uh, a group of people in a situation like me have, have written to the Archbishop of Canterbury and York and all our um, diocesan bishops as well, a group of maybe 30 of us. We've had um, the Archbishop replied and copied in all the other diocesan bishops and they've all said, see Archbishop Justin's uh, reply, our, our prayers are with you, this sort of thing. And he's sort of saying thank you for reminding us of just how difficult it must be for you and, and we uh, will be with renewed enthusiasm praying for you and and um, speaking for you in the situation. Um, so I guess, yeah, that's there's that petition to sign, um, but yeah. I'll put a link to that uh, in the blog post uh, that goes with this. And I guess, you know, for all the reasons that we said, it's unlikely that that's gonna sort of open an avalanche people wanna get married. If you're not Christian, 
and you, and what you really want is all your family and friends there and your big party that's not going to happen this summer anyway so it's likely to be only relatively small numbers of people um in your sort of situation phil that, that will say no we actually just want to get married and and we don't really worry about all the rest of it i think um just uh thinking about more broadly how the government have been making decisions about lockdown and, and priorities for easing lockdown i mean it does seem to me that they are most concerned with the economic impacts uh you know most concerned let's say with the health impacts of coronavirus but but after that the the sort of economic impacts and those are pretty significant when lockdown was first announced they were talking about three weeks and then we would review the situation and we are now almost at three months not quite but almost at three months and obviously that's had a huge impact on many businesses uh, and the economy uh, more broadly but it's also had therefore a, a greater impact on people than we initially thought three weeks is sort of a long holiday and you know you can put up with a lot of things for three weeks but three months um feels very different um as lockdown guidance has changed you know we've been able to meet up with one person or, or then with with six people how has that affected what you have been able to see. George you have six people already in your household don't you I mean has have have the easing of the guidance made any difference to to your life um, and the sort of quality of life and relationships uh, of people in your house and in your your community not as yet but we, we can't meet as a family with anybody else and then we have to start selecting who might <laughs> so uh, so not really. The children um, have had various possibilities of going back to school, uh, 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 slowly getting concretized. Uh, but um, but mainly that's digital. Uh, it's just that the teachers are going into the classrooms and then then doing some Zoom seminars from the classrooms. Um, just on the point of of uh, the importance of where people are at and how people are coping and and easing back. Um, it's very interesting that as schools go back, their priority is not curriculum, it's welfare. Um, they're not hoping to hit any targets and get any anything done. They're just trying to get the kids have to have something where they see each other uh, and have some sense of normality. And so when I spoke to the head teacher about uh, assemblies, it's quite high on the priority list. Uh, having that kind of input because it helps with welfare uh, and emotional kind of uplift is is really important uh, so uh, yeah that's great it, this 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 economic sort of priority is not the main thing uh, people are struggling people are not uncertain and when we look at children they're an excellent case in point the most important people thing is is people's uh, kind of social spiritual welfare yeah uh, and so churches have a really important role to play. Uh, and I think we need to have that message that, that it, it's a really important part of, of community life yeah. that can be a massive help at this situation. I agree. I thought it was really interesting at the point, you know, they sort of announced that, that you could meet up with one other person. And then the sort of next big announcement was shops are going to be able to open. All kinds of shops are going to be able to open. And you just think, 
I mean, it just seemed to me to completely miss the mood, which, I mean, there are some people who are desperate to get back shopping, I'm sure. But there's a lot of people who are kind of, I really want to be able to go and see my mum and sit in her garden. Or, you know, Phil, I don't know how it's been for you and, and your fiancé. I mean, have you been able to, to see each other at all during this period? I don't know what, what your sort of current living arrangements are, but whether you're near enough to go and sort of have a distanced walk in the park or anything. Yeah, particularly at the beginning, I guess, um, when it was sort of been two months when we hadn't seen each other except for me dropping food off to her door when her and her household were isolating. At that point, it really was important for us to going on a walk together, that sort of thing. And uh, so now we, we sometimes go on cycle rides or um, or walks mm-hmm. together. I think I think you're right. The the relating to one another is is so significant um, mm-hmm. and something that. I guess is still difficult and maybe when Beth's having a hard time and finding it all a bit overwhelming, there's still something really missing in our interaction with maybe not being able to comfort her physically um, when she's finding things tough. But uh, I think I think you're right, that's been something that should be higher on the agenda, the um, relating to one another aspect of, of life as opposed yeah. to the plural shopping opportunities <laughs> i know i mean i just saw the today they're thinking about um removing all restrictions on sunday trading i, just, I mean nobody needs that no, nobody needs to be shopping 24 7 and we're not gonna have more money to spend it's not gonna have anyway i just it was just again it just felt all wrong to me in terms of what people really want and you know i think one of the things i i also wonder is it just seemed to me and maybe it's not an awareness, maybe it's just that they do need to do the broad brushstrokes, but the sort of um, attention doesn't seem to have been given to people who don't fit within a sort of stereotypical situation. So your example uh, of marriage is a really good one there. Um, you know, your situation isn't quite what most people who are planning to get married this summer would have been, and therefore it's overlooked. But I think with the sort of meeting up thing as well, the people in larger households, how how little difference that's made but also the people like me you know i i live on my own so what that means is it's nearly three months since i had any physical contact with any other human being at all that that's a really long time for people to go without anyone to give them a hug or you know kiss on the cheek or or shake the hand i mean it's just yeah and it just really hit me last week this is this isn't a really good way to live and a lot of people I think will probably have noticed that quite a lot sooner than I did but I yeah I would have loved to see them just give more attention to how this is affecting people and people's lives um not just worrying about the the sort of um financial implications of everything and I just it seems to me to show what the government really thinks matters which I'm not sure is what we think really matters. Well let's move on uh, just to think about how all of this is affecting churches. Um, uh, so George I can't remember I think we might have talked about this on the podcast before just but just remind us what has your church been doing uh, for the last few months by way of uh, gathering together? Uh, we're quite a small congregation so meeting together on zoom is is the most viable thing for us um uh, we can interact quite well our services were very interactive anyway 
because we're small, <laughs> so people could interrupt uh, at any point. Uh, and that was a nice thing. Uh, we liked that. Uh, and so although some of our, our members have had, have had a long learning curve with Zoom and they're still not quite got it, and there's lots of kind of strange noises, um, so, so you have to mute all. I do have quite a regular... Uh, slot in the service where I unmute everybody and give them the chance to to say something, usually partway through the talk and certainly at two other parts of the service. Uh, I, I think that's really, really good. It, um, we spent the first two weeks doing Zoom tutorials for older people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it was worth it because, I mean, anybody can get on it. So we, we, we prioritise fellowship uh, and and production value has taken a hit, yeah. but our production value was never that good. Yeah. So it's, it's okay. Yeah, exactly. It's being authentic, uh, <laughs> isn't it? You don't have to be wizzy online if you were never wizzy in person. Phil, just give us an idea. You're at a much bigger church, I think, in Sheffield. Tell us what your church's been doing. Yeah, that's right. I'm I'm a member at Christ Church Forward, which is quite a well-known uh, large church, maybe about 900 adults on a Sunday. And and what, what they're doing, it sounds quite different to, to you, George. We have a... Um, a YouTube pre-recorded service that goes live at 10.30 on a Sunday morning where one of the staff team will be uh, leading and preaching and they'll have a family uh, or a household uh, doing the music. Um, a few different families with their kids and all their middle class music lessons they've had um, are, are coming coming very very good at the moment. Um, so we, that's that's been, I guess, the main thing at, at Christchurch Forwards, been the Sunday morning services. Uh, we've been encouraged to keep meeting in small groups. Uh, mine's on a Wednesday evening. And um, uh, but they've been producing fairly regular vlogs as well online, um, discussing topical issues, one about VE Day, one on um, the elephant in the Zoom and sort of, um, <laughs> what was it about? And you can see I, I, I probably don't suffer from it. It was talking about um, what you sort of seek to present on Zoom and and, and um, who you're trying to be, that sort of idea, and maybe presenting nice. yourself to be really on top of things and have a really nicely presented house. <laughs> Clearly, I'm I'm not that sort of camp. So yeah, so for those of you who are listening on audio, George is presenting the picture of himself as a, a keen reader with stuffed bookshelves and a carefully positioned cross. Uh, Phil is presenting himself as a an ultra minimalist white wall chic and I am presenting myself as a on-brand associate director of church society so yeah very good uh good so things have changed a little bit as we said in terms of guidelines so six people are now permitted to meet with each other you don't all have to be from the same household um at a distance outside we didn't really have the weather this weekend for doing much outdoors um but George how how might churches and ministers be starting to think about um, using some of that extra freedom that we now have? I think that there are, there are two things to think about, aren't there? There is, how do we do what we normally do in a new way? Uh, you know, because we're thinking about how we do church safely. We've got to keep planning for that. It's not there yet. Um, but we're trying to sort of change slightly or as much as, as little as possible the things that we want to do. But there's another thing that we want to do is what can we do with the freedoms we've been given? Uh, which is, we can now meet with six people outside. And can we do anything with that? Uh, and, and I think that's what we should do. And so I'm going to talk to the PCC tonight in our, in our next little uh, phase meeting 
about having a, a meeting of five people with me in the back garden under a large gazebo with carefully spaced chairs. And, and, and what we can do with that. Um, uh, we, we did have a ministry called Tea at Two, which was for, for people who uh, kind of in the house a lot. Uh, and they would get brought round to my house and I'd give them tea and cakes and talk to them. And somehow I'd read the Bible and then we'd start talking about that. Uh, so I thought that would be the last ministry to restart. It looks like it's going to be the first. Uh, and and so, but I think we've just got to take advantage of the things we get. Uh, pastoral visits in the garden, I, I suspect, have been quietly happening uh, for, for longer. So than... no, it's hard to tell, is it, whether you're just on your daily exercise, happening to walk past somebody's front door, or you know whether that's a, a permitted visit in the garden. But... I, I know several fact, members of of our church family who 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 looked at maps and worked out where everybody lived, and somehow planned their daily walk to go past. It. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, uh, you know, but why not? Absolutely. Um, so it is tricky, isn't it? Thinking, so think about how we can use what we've got now for those sort of small groups, um, informal visits. One thing I've been uh, trying to encourage people to think about is garden church. So that might be just simply getting six people together to sit in your garden and watch whatever online service there is, but do that together. Um, or it could be in some churches, uh, it might be appropriate to, to put together a little sort of garden church kit that includes here's what the Bible reading will be, here's uh, a sermon that you could read out or that you could play, here's some songs that you could sing together, you know, somebody within your six can lead some prayers, here's some liturgy, you know, and actually be doing church in those little tiny uh, groups. Obviously, as we go forward, we hope that that things will ease further, we might be able to get some bigger groups meeting together. Um, I've heard people talking about drive-through church or drive-in church, which if you've got a big car park and a big screen, uh, could be a way forward as well. Harder, I think, in a big church, perhaps, I mean, in, in sort of little churches you can manage with. Phil, what would you love to see as things go forward, um, your church, uh, be, as they begin to think about bringing back together? 900 people in a building seems impossible, doesn't it? What what sort of next steps might they um, think about yeah I, I guess I don't really know um, so much of that uh, I guess that's the thing with such a large church that the um, a lot of the initiatives aren't necessarily centrally run but centrally I guess motivated or, or a vision for them given and so a lot of the pastoral visiting and the uh, that sort of thing is is kind of left to small group leaders who are lay members maybe with with full-time day jobs anyway um, other than sort of the all the, the ministers coordinating or a minister perhaps coordinating every different area it's sort of I think presumed there'll be more self-starting um, so I yeah I don't I don't quite know what will happen top down um, but I, I yeah I hope there'll be um, like you're saying with um, garden church sort of thing and people taking the initiative to to look out for one another and and join together. We've been doing um, a chat after church in our small group on on Zoom, uh, um, which I guess could develop uh, into perhaps two garden Zoom, two garden churches at different places. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know what will happen top down. Um, 
Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Difficult things to think about. Um, I want to just uh, mention George wrote a blog post for us uh, last week on Church Society website, just with half a dozen questions for PCCs and church leaders to be considering as we think about move forward. And they won't all be questions that you can answer yet. And they may be questions that, you know, the answer changes as we go along. But just if you're kind of started, if you're wondering where on earth do you start, uh, there's some good pointers there. Well, uh, I'm going to ask for recommendations. I'm going to ask for recommendations from both of you in a moment, but I'm going to start with mine, um, which are all really following on from last week's podcast. You remember last week uh, we began to talk a bit about the problem of racism uh, and particularly racism in the UK church. And I just want to mention a couple of things. There's a really great uh, podcast from Speak Life. I mean, it's a great podcast in general. But last week's episode on George Floyd, racism and the UK church with Jason Roach and Richard Awayemi, uh, who are both uh, black uh, pastors in London, one in an Anglican church uh, and one uh, not. Really uh, insightful and interesting and uh, important. Um, there's also an article which Jason had written on ethnicity and COVID-19. Um, one of the things that has been very striking about coronavirus has been the disparity in the way that it's impacted people from different different ethnic groups. And Jason talks very helpfully about some of the serious underlying reasons why that might be the case um, that I think we all need to listen to. And finally, I've not read Ben Lindsay's book, We Need to Talk About Race, Understanding the Black Experience in White Majority Churches. It's on my list. People have been recommending it. But I wanted to let you know that there is going to be an online event next Tuesday. That is the 16th of June uh, at eight o'clock, which is an interview with Ben Lindsay and a Q&A on that subject of We Need to Talk About Race, Black Experience in White Majority Churches. So those are my recommendations. Phil, what have you been... Uh, uh, enjoying that you want to recommend to one, well one thing I mentioned earlier that I found really valuable is the um, the chatting with my small group after a church service that's been really good for regular interactions with with other people and for discussing maybe what we've what we've heard and how our weeks have been and, and how our lives have been since Wednesday when we had small group and then a, a second thing I've been I've been reading a book called instruments in the Redeemer's hand one-to-one at church and we've discussed, we've read a chapter and discussed it most weeks um, in how next week. And a, a third thing I found helpful in this lockdown has been having a project. I've had my final year law essays, but I'm not suggesting any of you should write an essay on constitutional law or competition law, but maybe just have a project. My, my sister-in-law's picked up a language and is learning yeah. Spanish on an app, and she's finding that quite fun. Brilliant. Last week, Amanda showed us the blanket uh, that she had crocheted. So, yeah, similar thing. Um, and a really good point about reading a book with another person and talking uh, to them about it. You don't need to do that with every book you read, but sometimes it's a really helpful way of, of actually taking on board uh, what you're reading and thinking about. Great. Uh, George? Um, at the moment, uh, as a church, we're going through a little book called Caring for One Another by Ed Welch, which takes the principles that are in instruments the Redeemer's hands and kind of tries to get the whole congregation along with it. It's very simple, very thin book. And we just kind of pad out a chapter e each week. Uh, and that, that's been a good thing, especially in this situation where we are trying to care for one another. Uh, so that that would be a recommendation. Uh, buy 20 and give them out. And... Um, uh, there's a book called Destiny by David Gibson, which uh, gives it's from it's a, a commentary on Ecclesiastes, really, but a very reflective mm -hmm. philosophical look at the point of life. Uh, we might be thinking about that. 
And now, and something a little different. I'm a big fan of dystopian fiction. Do you like dystopian fiction? I absolutely, no. uh, yeah. I absolutely love it. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, and my daughter is too. It's generally aimed at young, young adults, uh, young adult sort of dystopian fiction with the Hunger Games it has been a big thing and things like Divergence and The Maze Runner. But I want to recommend two series which I've got quite a strong Christian apologetic uh, and a good conversation stars, especially uh, with, with, with young adults. Um, so one is the Time Out series by Nadine Brands, where everybody gets a clock and they know how long they're going to live. And the other one is Anomaly by Krista McGee. And that is probably the best Christian apologetic, particularly a character called John, who appears in the sort of second and third book. Uh, good books to read with people and then talk about the themes that come out. Great. Thank you. I, I won't promise to read them. I don't. Dis yeah, I feel like the world is dystopian enough. Well, most that, of the, time. That, the reason I'm recommending them is because I feel like I'm in a dystopian novel now because I've read so yeah, many of them. It, exactly. it all ticks every box and it's strangely cathartic. <laughs> Yes, they often begin with a global pandemic, don't they? But there's a big crisis, so, and then you have to then society yeah. has to make all these changes, and then they have to live with it. Great, thank you. Well, we'll put links to all of those. Um, I wanted to let you know, particularly if you're an audio podcast listener, that we are now available on Spotify. Um, they have uh, changed their system, so. Uh, they're opened up to all kinds of podcasts. I will put a direct link to that. But if you use Spotify and you search for the Church Society podcast, you should be able to find that. I will be back uh, next week with uh, Amanda Robbie and Martin Davey. Uh, and we will be talking through the issues of the week. If there's something that comes up over the next seven days that you think would be interesting to hear about uh, on the Church Society podcast, do drop me a line. Thanks so much, uh, both of you, for uh, joining me this week. And thanks to you for listening.